Hello and welcome to Punks on the Pitch podcast, a show where the beautiful game meets alternative music. Um, really, really appreciate everyone who's checked out the show so far. Seems to have been a great kind of reception for the first two episodes that we've had. We've had match day one here in the UK with the uh, return of the Premier League, Football League and so on and so forth. And already we've got some hot talking topics, not just in England, but around the world. Um, as always, you're not going to just hear my rambling voice. I'm joined by a good friend of mine. Uh, he is part of the PR agency Good as Gold, and he's also a big Man United fan. Uh, his name is Matt Hughes. Matt, thank you very much for for joining me to talk all things football today. Pleasure. Hello. It is a real pleasure to be here. I very much enjoyed the podcast with Adam from Audience Please and his Spurs apologist conversation <laughs> <laughs> well before we kind of get into to the normal kind of chat and stuff like adam mentioned something and i'd obviously seen it you kind of post it on on the socials as well but you're looking at starting a, a five-a-side league so how's that kind of going at the moment yeah so i have been running a five-a-side game for about 14 years uh, oh wow i'm crazy old and so I used to live in Myland and I started at, up at Myland Football Centre, Myland Monday Football for Life. And yeah, and it was, it's kind of with some friends, but mainly, I guess, an industry kind of, kind of game really, but you know, friends, you know, and it's kind of expanded yeah, yeah. now. And obviously I got much older and the new people that came in got much younger. So the standard is crazy high and I've literally just bowed out about a month ago, three weeks ago, just because I, <laughs> I moved to South London, a pandemic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to my office. So my office was in Shoreditch um, and we're not going there at the moment. So there's no reason for me to go to Mile End. So I've kind of just politely bowed out and moved on and given, passed the mantle to my cousin, actually, Lucas, who's running the game now. And I'm looking to try and set up a game in uh, in South London because because I don't want to get on the train or the tube to go to Mile End. <laughs> but yeah, it's going good. <laughs> it's going enough. good. There's lots of, there seems to be lots of kind of mates who live down here and, um, you know, and people looking for a game, which is great. That's cool. And also how we're kind of like opening this up just to, to tie in the whole music and football thing. I'm always interested in what people are listening to. So what, what music have you been listening to in the last like week or so? A lot. I listen to a lot of music. Um, well, I mean, it is part of yeah, your job. Yeah. God, <laughs> music. Um, yeah, so I have the balance of kind of listening to stuff that I am thinking about working or want to work or, you know, I'm working, so I need to, like, get my head in the game. But I won't talk about that stuff because this is not a PR exercise. So the stuff I've been listening to, um, I'm really into Bob Villain at the moment. I think he's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and I kind of have a mashup of these amazing heavy records uh, that have come out this year, like End and Gulch and Drain. Um, you know, they're all gross and disgusting, and I love it. Um, yeah, yeah. I really love the new Japanese house stuff. Um, that single with Bonnevoe is great. New Deftones is awesome. Svalbard's awesome. Um, and 
and a lot of 90s music a lot, a okay. lot of basically what i listened to when i was 15 16 years old like yeah, yeah diving into um beastie boys b-sides and kind of you know really getting into nine inch nails and trent reznor i mean i am into that but just you know i am yeah a lot of nine inch nails a lot of trent reznor a lot of soundtrack stuff i watched the watchman tv show oh yeah it's yeah, exceptional yeah. and you know an incredible television document on america and it's huge problems with well, not just America, but in the specifics of America and its problems with race and kind of coming to terms with its history and, you know, which which is obviously an awful thing, but the soundtrack by Trent Reznor came in three separate records and it's just, it's it's spellbinding. It's yeah, spellbinding. yeah. That's the word I'd use. So yeah, so that's what I've mainly been listening to. <laughs> it's sort of kind of like in a, I guess it's sort of a similar note, like, when lockdown kind of officially started back in sort of March, April time, I kind of like did a similar thing and And kind of like reverted back into my childlike state and was like listening to all like the new metal bands and stuff that I got into when I was a teenager and stuff. I I don't know why I think it's just because I had like more time on my hands. So it's sort of like, oh yeah, I'm going to dig back into these bands. So I was like listening to like Under Oath and like, Bit of, I went on a weird like spine shank wormhole that as well for some wormhole. reason. I think it's just <laughs> yeah. I think it's just you know what happened. I mean I think when lockdown first hit, you know, I mean I have two children, so I wasn't able to complete Netflix, but we certainly watched films that were comforting and watched things that were kind of you know brought back nice fond memories. And I think it's the same thing with music. And I, I mean I worked. Yeah. I work, um, you know, as a PR and radio plugger, you know, we definitely saw radio stations, you know, including Radio One, you know, really very much brilliantly, um, you know, picking up on this and, and really, you know, playing a lot of music to make people feel comfortable and happy and, you know, um, things that were reminiscent of people's past, like the, they did a dance weekender and just just loads of really cool stuff. But so yeah. I think that's that's kind of what happens. You kind of dive back into sort of familiar clothes, sort of, so to speak. Yeah. And the other point that we I want to kind of pick up on with each person I have on this show is obviously we want to kind of embrace the the punk ethos in, in football and things like that. And I think a lot of teams, they always have that one player that they kind of like feel embraces that. So... For for you, with uh, being a Manchester United fan, is there a player that you particularly think like embraces what punk stands for and like the whole punk ethos? Please don't say Roy Keane. <laughs> no, no, no. That would be a different ethos. Uh, no, um, <laughs> yeah. no. It would be Eric Cantona for me. Eric Cantona. Okay. Came through a, a really formative time for me as a United fan. I lived abroad when I was younger. And having a connection to Manchester, which is where I was born, where my family's all from, even though I don't have the accent, um, you know, whilst being abroad was really important. And Eric kind of came through at that key time. And obviously he was such a massive catalyst for the team. But that aside, just everything about him oozed rock star, punk, like everything about him. Like, and I don't even mean his Kung Fu kick against... <laughs> yeah. a knobhead Crystal Palace supporter I just 
you know, he did exactly what he wanted to do. He said ridiculous things to confuse people. Um, his celebrations, people still mimic them. Like I, I yeah. played in a tournament. I played in a BSM tournament a few years ago, and I don't often score, but I did, and I just did the Eric Cantona hands on the hands on the hips, standing around. <laughs> um, you know, and yeah, he was, he was, and then he retired young. He was like, I don't want to be an old footballer. Get out of there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it would definitely, for me, it would definitely be Eric. Perfect. Cool. Well, we've got a couple of talking points that I want to kind of touch upon. The the main kind of, I guess, like theme of, of this week is what we I want to talk about is kind of racism within football, but obviously racism, like in a broader sense. Um, one of the things we'll touch upon it first because it's got the ties to Manchester United is obviously recently uh, one of the young stars of the team, Mason Greenwood, has kind of been in the news, but for the wrong reasons, quote unquote, um, with him obviously being caught up with the whole fiasco with Phil Foden in uh, while the England team were away. And that's now transpired that he, there's this video footage of him doing laughing gas or hippie crack or whatever you want to call it. Now, the reason I'm sort of like wanting to bring this up is because it's, again, a young black man in the game that is being scrutinised by the British media. So I just kind of want to get your take on it. Like, how do you kind of feel being a United fan, seeing him being thrust in the limelight for doing these quote-unquote wrong things? Um I mean, it's disgusting. I, I mean, forget the fact I'm a United fan. It was, it's a disgrace when certain newspapers or media outlets, and then therefore, as a result of that, an encouragement of their social media followers or whatever, um, pick up on any young non-white um, player. You know, it's the same with Raheem Sterling. Yeah. You know, like probably one of the most creative, talented players we've had for a very long time. And the same thing now with Mason. Um, they are going for him, even though he's eight, 18 years old. He's had one season under his belt. Um, he made a mistake. He's apologised. Phil Foden is glorified in the papers as someone who buys his mum a house and it's completely forgotten about. Um you know, and shock horror, the son find a video of him, of Mason Greenwood doing something and bring it up as a further double down excuse as to the reasons why they should print and spout this nonsense. And it's it's not on, it's not fair. Um, it's based purely on trying to stoke something in society that I think is obviously there. And, you know, we need to work on it on every sort of every sort of level and obviously specifically with football you know United as a club has a lot of problems you know with fans and racist abuse like it just it just does I mean it's it seems to top or it certainly did last year um the chart of fans <clears throat> being interviewed afterwards by the police and um it just it just has to stop and I think for the media to pick out someone like Mason, who seems like such, maybe become 44 and he's 18, he just seems a complete child. And obviously 16, 18, you know, he should definitely have known better. He's on England duty, but I mean, what did he do like really to deserve yeah. this vitriol and this finger pointing? I mean, I, 
I just he's an 18 year old kid that likes girls I don't I don't understand it seems like a, it seems <laughs> yeah. like a no story to me obviously he shouldn't have played and he'll probably receive further punishment but that's you know down to England but the pickup and the stoking is is um is outrageous that's the thing like you met, you touched upon like the Raheem Sterling thing and that was kind of the the other example that I wanted to bring up was the fact that he got a tattoo of a gun like who honestly in the grand scheme of things like who actually cares like and why that story became such a big thing and just the scrutiny that kind of went with it because of the connotations of a person of colour having that image on them. It was just like, it was kind of like the whole sort of dogpile mentality. I just, I just couldn't understand. And then now we're kind of seeing it all over again with, with Mason. And as you say, like, if that was just your regular Joe blogs on the street, nobody would turn a blind eye. But just because he's got this profile as a footballer, there's again this sort of dogpiling attitude and I'm like I don't want to be a person that's sort of belittling Phil Foden but I'm probably sure he was kind of in on it just as much as Mason Greenwood but he's not under the same scrutiny like he got the criticism for the whole breaking the lockdown quarantine rules and whatever but he's got a slap on the wrist and that's it but now a the media like have decided to bite their teeth into to Mason Greenwood. And I think it, it'd be interesting, like from a management point of view, how Solskjaer kind of deals with it and also how he kind of helps Mason kind of get through it. Like, cause this is apart from the media celebrating him last season of like the impact he's made, this is the first kind of, big scrutiny these kind of come under because it's crossed over as soon as someone crosses over from back pages to front pages it's a different level of scrutiny and as soon as it's a player of color it becomes a different level of standards required by the public and the media if you are a white player if you're a if sorry if you're a non-white player you are required to go above and beyond you know sterling got a tattoo of a gun a million pop stars not a million there aren't a million pop stars many pop stars have tattoos of knives and guns and whatever no one ever questions it they they vilified him he gave a reason as to why he got it which was to do as a family member being shot and it still wasn't enough and it feels like that has kind of been the basis of just constant attacks on him even though he is by far you know our best player i think social mm-hmm. will wrap mason in cottonwall he will wrap him up he will behind closed doors, very clearly tell him what he did wrong in terms of football um, and in terms of England. But, but, you know, Mason is a United player and Ali is his manager and he will bring him into the fold and he'll be protected as all United players are, as Harry Maguire recently is and will be, um, and, you know, and I'm sure it's the same with almost every single other club across the country, across the world. You know, they will, he will be protected because he's 18 years old. Yeah. Um, it will be deflection, you know. Ollie will, Ollie will be the person that goes out and speaks to the media or it will be other senior members of the team that will step up. You know, I think we'll see a lot of, if he stays, Paul Pogba stamping up and having a conversation because he's clearly 
the bright leader of that team for young, especially young players. You know, they look up to mm. him. You know, um, so yeah, I think that's I think that's what Oli will do. And just in terms of like the kind of broader conversation of sort of like racism within football, this might be like uh, the way that the again the media kind of portrayed it, and it might be I might. Have been suckered into this in some aspect but is there kind of like because obviously we've seen since the whole the Black Lives Matter movement like obviously beginning of the games all the players taking the knee but even like years gone past like the kick it out campaign and, and things like that there's always been this outward message of we need to kick racism out of football but it's still there it still lingers do you are there like any elements of it from I don't know from the FA that it's a bit performative? It do you think, or is there kind of like this? I guess from a, I guess in a punk aspect, like this underground roots project that is trying its best to get this shit out of the game, but it's just a really really massive uphill battle. I think it's a huge, a huge question and a huge issue. Um, obviously, you know, we're specifically talking about football, but, you know, to really look at eradicate, eradicating racism, you know, we need to look at education. That is, that is, that is what needs to really be focused on. And, you know, on a club level, um, you know, and I know a lot of clubs do this, you know, have outreach programs, have players go into schools and, um, you know, allow schools to come and tour around um, Premier League grounds or football grounds, sorry. Um, but to eradicate racism, there needs to be more education and people need to be smarter. People need to be smarter, sorry, that's flippant. When someone like tabloid newspapers print nonsense that focuses on, on where a person is from rather than what they're doing, and people read that and use that as an excuse to further their prejudices, that is a massive issue and that stems from education from that before that education there's a whole other issue of you know social um you know injustice and and lack of money and funding and i think it's it really is a a problem that stems way 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 back and then obviously people mm. on the football pitches and they get angry and they shout nonsense and yeah I do feel like the FA are trying, have tried, but at the same time, I mean, how many non-white managers, coaches, um, you know, physios, you know, board members at the FA are there, you know, there yeah, needs to yeah. be more of a focus on, on a diverse approach on every single level. And I think, you know, people, people need to see that. Yeah, I'm not sure if if it's something that's been implemented yet or if it was something being spoken about, but I know it's to kind of compare it to the NFL. Like, it again, it is a kind of a performative element, but, like, whenever there's, like, a big coaching role or something like that comes up, like, they have to, like, bottom line, at least have a minimum of one person of ethnic background as a candidate for that position sort of thing. 
And I don't know if we see that over here as much in football. Like, and I know it's, as I say, that is very like minimum work being done. It's like patting yourself on the back. We've shortlisted a person of colour in our kind of shortlist sort of thing. But do you feel that that is the kind of steps that need to be taken, I guess, on that higher level of kind of making more diversity and having, I guess, for like younger people of colour, having that sort of attainable thing of like seeing someone they recognise in high profile jobs? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Premier League, would, we'll just talk about the Premier League, I guess, mainly because that's that's what I watch. But in the Premier League, it'd be interesting to know the percentage of, um, you know, non-white players versus non-white anything at any level at a club. And I, I, I imagine it yeah. be very, very small. And it's, you know, it is a massive problem, not just in football, you know, it's a problem in the music industry. It's a problem in, 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 in almost every industry. And this is why action needs to be taken. And this is why diversity laws, you know, do need to come into place because, um, you know, people are being discriminated against because of the color of their skin. Like it just, it is. And, and it's often used as a stick to kind of beat against that. The whole, if a person is good enough for the job, then the, you know, the right person should get it. And that's, that's nonsense. Like it's, it, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of these people don't have access to these positions or the information that these these positions are open to or available or even the training or the education that will then lead to these positions you know what i mean it has to go you know it has to go back and back and back to allow those opportunities not just like oh we need you know more black managers we need more you know poc um you know coaches or you know it's got to start way way before on an educational level and for these doors to be open to everybody um you know for kids to be able to see i could do that you know yeah yeah that's that's something i can do and um at the moment yeah in football it doesn't seem to be working doesn't seem to be there yet no and i think like just off the top of my head I think the only manager in the top flight that's a person of colour is Nuno Espirito Santo at Wolves. Like, I can't yeah. think of anyone else at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Chris Hutton, when he was at Brighton, um, yeah. I mean, I, this is the thing I can think of. Maybe five, four, maybe high-profile non-white managers at the Premier League the last 10 or whatever years. Yeah, so it's definitely something that needs to change and needs to be addressed. And I think, like, kind of sticking with the kind of whole, like, racism in football at the moment, we've seen this past weekend kind of another sort of incident of racism being spouted on the pitch, potentially. Like, it's still a bit of a grey area, but during... Uh, Le Classique between Paris Saint-Germain and Marseille um, in what ended up being a f like a basically on-pitch brawl saw five players being sent off uh, one of which being Neymar who then as he was coming off the pitch the cameras picked up um, him saying to the fourth official that Alvaro uh, Gonzalez had kind of said something racist to him which kind of incited him to lash out <laughs> 
um, which is obviously completely understandable. Um, but it again, it brings up that conversation of sort of this. There's still this divide. There's still this hate speech on the pitch as well as from fans and from the media and and things like that. So the reason I kind of bring this up because I I think bringing it back to music whenever we hear or see anything like this i think as a community especially like in the alternative diy world we're very quick to kind of bound together and try and do the right thing and i think football moves a bit slower in that and even yesterday um andros fios boas the marseille manager came out defending Gonzalez, which he has his right to do, but I don't know, like, it's that kind of, like, believe the person that's had that discrepancy against them, so I don't know, it's just one of, another one of those things of we need to get rid of it on all levels, don't, but it's just disgraceful to see such a high-profile pro, uh, player in that position yeah it was it was a it was a weird one it was a game and it wasn't really a la classique really was it it was 19 cards were given during the game it was a yeah a disgrace yeah. um and i think it seemed like neymar had said a few times to the fourth official that um he'd you know been receiving been on the, the brunt end of some some abuse um and then when he was actually sent off rightly so for punching the back of someone's head not on um the whole game just descended and it feels like whatever happens it will sort of be put on the back burner because of what because of the melee and because of what sort of happened between the players anyway um but yeah it's it's an it's an interesting question i mean obviously neymar himself had a had a an issue a couple of years ago or last year maybe even where you know he had a um he was accused of rape um, which was then kind of thrown out, and I think the the, the lady that was accusing him was actually um, convicted of um, I can't even think of the term, but convicted of making it all up. Um, so he's yeah. seen now. I think that both ends, and obviously as a person as a player of color, I'm sure this has happened to him many many times. Um, but in this specific instance, it looked quite clear that there were a few instances of him trying to talk to the fourth official um i mean yeah it's strange that there, it wasn't picked up with all the, the the microphones and this like much less crowd noise i can't understand why we weren't able to hear it but i mean it's a disgrace i don't think personally that villas boa should have come out and defended his player without having heard um you know all of the evidence because it's you know, it's pretty damning, to be honest. Yeah, and I, like, I've just got it up here. Like ne After the game, Neymar tweeted. Um, it's kind of broken because he's obviously tweeted it in, in Portuguese, but the translation's a bit broken. But it's like, the only regret I have is not being, uh, not punching him, that punching in the face of this asshole, basically. So he's obviously very heated of, of what was said and... and kind of rightly so um and kind of on that like as you mentioned the Villas Boas coming out and sort of defending on the flip side of that Paris Saint-Germain have kind of taken a stance where they've completely backed Neymar which I think is quite 
a commendable yeah. thing from their position because they're like nowadays they are a very big profile club. They've got all this money, they're bringing in big players, and obviously they've got big players who are people of color like Neymar, like like Mbappe. So for them to kind of take that position of we're we, we're totally behind you, we're not going to tolerate this, I think, is an indication to maybe other clubs that, like, I know we've seen it in the past where, like, even English players, when they've kind of had racist abuse thrown at them from fans or whatever, they've kind of taken action against the fan or whatever. But I think when it's on the pitch, we maybe don't see it as much. So is that kind of a standing point of PSG are kind of thrown the flag of like this is what clubs need to be doing if this does happen again I think it's, I think it's difficult I think no club should ever encourage um, any kind of violent reaction um, from their player just on, on, on any level in the, in the sense of a ban because Neymar will likely get banned now for seven games or whatever um, yeah. in the sense of, of us everybody talking about it um, but I think their stance is completely correct because it's, you know, they have, they have to believe Neymar. I mean, you know, um, and I, yeah, I, I, I listened, I watched Phyllis Barris's um, post-match conference and, and yeah, I just, it seems very strange that he would, he would jump straight away without having heard or seen or listened to um, it all. But, you know, this is, again, it's similar to what we we're talking about with Mason Greenwood, you know, clubs, I guess do have to back their players you know everything i mean going back to eric Cantona on the kung fu kick you know like he said that he had been not racially abused but the, you know the language and, and the things that they were saying about yeah, his yeah. mother i think or his sister you know and alex ferguson completely backed him you know like he didn't say i would have done the same thing but you know and he, they had to sort of slightly condemn it because it did mean eric had been banned for a bunch of games but yeah, I think yeah, it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult situation. I think for the clubs, um, but but yeah, I mean PSG had to back Neymar absolutely. Yeah, and I think it would be an interesting sort of thing to see because this is this is the thing with not just football, but I think in in the world in general in terms of the world moves so quickly, so the news cycle moves so quickly. But I think it'll be interesting to see if there is any further action that kind of comes from this against Gonzalez or if Neymar wants to take it further or anything like that or if he now feels like, because as you say, he's rightly going to get banned for seven matches, six matches, however long it is. Does he feel like because he's in that position, he can no longer say anything? It's kind of done and dusted because he's the one that's been punished. It's, it's it'll be interesting to see if this narrative rolls any further. I think. Yeah, and I think a large part of that will come down to the club's action. I remember um, Patrice Evra um, at United with the whole um, Luis Suarez, you know, nonsense, and you know. Liverpool back to their player and even Liverpool mm. players then put on their ridiculous t-shirts that were supportive of Suarez which is just nonsense um, 
you know, clubs back their players. And I think with this instance, PSG will just, again, not that he needs it, but wrap him up in cotton wool, Neymar, and work with him and find out what happened and, you know, work the best possible courses of action to make sure that he does feel that he can talk up and, you know, that he has a voice um, and he can bring light to, to, to these things when they're, they're on the pitch, you know, and the same thing should happen mm. over here. I mean, yeah. Well, before we move on, just one more thing that I wanted to kind of touch upon sticking with European football. Obviously we've got um, Champions League qualifications going on and I'm not, not sure if you pick this up or not, but um, the mighty Benfica have been knocked out by, I'm going to completely butcher the name of this team, but it's, Boak or Bok, they're a, a Greek team and they, they beat them 2-1 last night. So I think it's, I think it just in terms of kind of where we are with sort of how things are rolling since coronavirus, obviously this game would usually be played over two legs, but it's gone to instant knockout. And I don't know, like that for me has kind of made the game a bit more exciting because we're seeing these smaller teams prevail on a one-off chance so I don't know do you do you like seeing these like teams that you've never heard of like have their moment in the in the spotlight I think part of you says yes because it's hilarious yes. when a big team that has loads of money gets knocked out and a small plucky team you know FA Cup style come goes through but and ultimately those teams aren't going to then make the like you know knockout stages anyway but when they do tend to happen the game's quality i think does sort of you want the better teams and you know or the teams that are playing the better football that season to get you know to the latter stages but at the same time part of me most most of me is just finds it hilarious when that happens i mean corona, <laughs> corona is an interesting um curveball in all of this because i mean relating it back to psg so the marseille game is their second loss in a row because they they lost against Maybe Lance, Lance, yeah, yeah, and you know they had half their team out with with um, Corona, uh, yeah. And whilst you're kind of thinking, you know, you should rightly say, well, PSG are a big club; they have so much money, more than almost any other club in the world, apart from City. Um, you know, they should be able to cope. But you know, it is a bit of a, a decimation when half of your top top tier players have corona and i'm i'm guessing the same sort of thing maybe happened with benfica i mean yeah maybe i i, I say i literally i've just saw the result i didn't kind of dig into it too too much but yeah i thought that was an interesting interesting little tidbit yeah i have to learn how to say that the name of the team yanoulis ya ton akpov den iparkhi offside evkeria to giris magol apo to yanoulis so uh the other thing that we're looking to do on this show is kind of put a bit of a spotlight on uh, the lower league teams or the non-league teams, maybe lesser known to, to a wider audience. So, Matt, who is the team that you've brought to the table? So, not strictly non-league. and So, yeah, not non-league at all. But uh, So, I'm bringing Barnet, the mighty bees of Barnet, to the table. There's only one bees in London. Um but you say that because they're not the national league, aren't they? They're the fifth tier of of yeah, of, uh, yeah. So it kind, I guess. Well, I guess they'll probably argue it's not non-league, but I it's. I mean, 
It's that weird grey area. <laughs> they're they're, they're delica- delicately caressing non-league football right now. Um, yeah. yeah. So yes, Barnett, am I? Um, am I? So, so what's your uh, what's your affinity with Barnett? So I guess you know I'm a United fan. Um, it's quite hard to get to any games in Manchester, um, and especially now with kids. So I think about maybe eight, nine years maybe ago, um, me and a friend of mine called Sam Call, who now edits Kerrang, and a friend of ours called John, kind of got together and decided that we would just pick a London team. Uh, they're both, they're right. both Liverpool supporters. And, um, you know, and we just wanted a team that we could get together and have a beer and go and watch and not argue about United Liverpool, but just, you know, <laughs> yeah. just enjoy it. And, and, you know, so our basis was purely London and cost of ticket. That was it. So we, okay. we looked at, and obviously it couldn't be a Premier League team because that's, yeah, I mean, or even really a championship team. Um, so, and Barnet were at the time, Barnet were the cheapest ticket. It was, I think it was 13 pounds. I think it was 13 pounds a ticket to, to Underhill, which was that old um, pitch in Barnet that was sloped, completely sloped uh, one way, hilariously sloped. Um, and yeah, we went a few times and then we got a season ticket and then Edgar Davids became our manager. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah shit i completely forgot that and, happened uh, yeah yeah so we we started going when Laurie sanchez was manager and the team were pretty bad we had a really poor team and Laurie sanchez was a poor manager really bad pitch um we had a striker who i now completely forgot the name of he's ex spurs and then went to portsmouth and he didn't he did nothing god i can't remember his name he did nothing i oh, see now you've said he's gone to portsmouth i've got to think but i can't god, i can't remember his name it's, it's, it'll come to me at some point um yeah he did nothing for the entire game but then he would score like it would come off his knee or his foot or his nose or whatever and it, it would happen almost yeah. every game um but the great thing with barnet is there's like a little cricket kind of club next to the well used to be next to underhill and everybody used to just go and um and catch up and have a beer and then all just go over together and it it felt like a non-league football experience to me and and yeah yeah it's great um obviously since then um the club has sold underhill and they've moved into slightly swankier um surroundings and a nice big new ground um and uh, the football is still pretty poor um, <laughs> um but yeah i stopped going about two years ago just because i moved to south london and i'm about yeah. to completely jump ship and join the afc wimbledon masses who are waiting for the uh, okay. football ground to be finished just down the road from here at the old um, dog track yeah that's because i think if it all goes to plan, weirdly, Pompey's going to be the, the first... Well, I think the aim is Pompey's going to be one of the first teams to to play at the, at the new, new ground with AFC Wimbledon, if, it, if all things go on schedule. so Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think next... It looks like... I mean, I drive past there all the time. It's literally just, it's just there. Um, and yeah. It, um, yeah, it looks like... I mean, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, they're probably building kind of flats around it similar to um 
is it latent that like really like um flats and then in the middle there's like the pitch sort of thing yeah um, yeah but it looks like it's it's all going like pretty quickly so hopefully fingers crossed but yeah barnet sorry yeah barnet and and obviously the brilliant thing about barnet was we had four seasons i think four seasons with edgar david as our player manager he played anywhere he wanted sometimes apparently yeah. he never turned up for, for team training we heard one story um where he turned up to his first his first game in charge the bbc turned up because it's quite a big story yeah and me and my friend john were interviewed um for football focus and we won 4-1 and edgar davis was amazing and it was just like we have totally lucked out here 13 pounds a ticket yeah, edgar yeah. Davids. um but it did slowly wind down and by the end of it i think when he just became manager there were some games we'd go to he wouldn't even be on the sideline like he wouldn't the manager wouldn't <laughs> turned up because he wasn't getting paid he was just doing it for because he lived nearby and he thought it'd be fun yeah yeah um but um, we've heard stories of like training rounds where he would kind of just turn up in his fancy car wind down the window and just shout a few things and then just drive off and that that's his contribution to training but <laughs> yeah again he wasn't really paid so you kind of can't kind of have a go at him really <laughs> Because I can't remember, like, how did how did that all come about? Can you remember? Uh, I think it was something to do with Edgar Davids genuinely lived near Barnet, and um, I think he became friends with the chairman. And I think if this is completely me just making story up after, yeah, um, Edgar Davids and the chairman enjoyed a glass of brandy, and you know the chairman said, "Why don't you come and manage our team? Because our manager's rubbish." Um, I think maybe it was even Mad Dog Martin Allen who seems to be manager of Barnet every three or four years, like on a cycle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, Edgar Davids decided he wanted to do it. I've no, I've no idea why. Um, I think he did an interview recently for The Guardian, but I, I haven't read it yet. But um, I think he talks a bit about it in there, but no. yeah, that was fun. I always, I always like when you see these kind of players that have had sort of illustrious careers and sort of, been capped at the highest level but then just because they're pure love of the game they still want to dog it out like I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember the team now but Patrice Evro like played a half so like, that, an, yeah, like an, a non-league team and I remember like years and years ago like um, Socrates the Brazilian like great decided to I think he I think he ended up only playing like two games but he signed for a non-league team and it was just because he wanted to get out and play football again and it's just I, I love that like football has that ability just to sort of pluck these incredible players out and just then shine a light on these little team that nobody will look probably otherwise ha I know Barnett's a bit different because they do have a bit more of a profile but it's they have their moment in the spotlight for for a little while we did we did, and it was magical. And we beat Brentford when Paolo Di Canio was manager, and and the crowd at Barnet are quite polite. And so the worst thing that we could think of, not we, just the, the crowd were just shouting. Or the only thing they could really think of was just shouting Italian things at him. <laughs> so they would just shout, you know, Fiat Punto, Cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> just to try and wind them up <laughs> and it worked brilliant well 
despite you saying you're you're switching allegiances, do you still kind of keep tabs on on what they're doing despite not kind of going as much? Um, I did, I did. It's hard. I'm going to use the kid excuse. When you have two kids, it's 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 hard to just have that much brain space for like kids and work and and football and stuff. Um, so Barnet, unfortunately, uh, I have so many Barnet tops because I kind of went crazy and you know the five years or whatever I was a season ticket holder. Uh, yeah i feel bad i do feel bad that i i don't go to see them anymore but um yeah it's um i will be fully switching allegiance <laughs> completely to the dons the mighty afc and um, what would you say your your main strengths are as a player scoring goals i like to just score goals i like to get in the box you know and just hit the target score goals yeah as as with last week i'm asking my guests to make their dream 11 but with a bit of a twist of it bringing in musicians who they'd like to see on the pitch uh we had guilty pleasures from adam last week so matt what is your team name um uh, we're called the lucky chances lucky chances lucky chance yeah nice right okay cool so we're going to go through your starting 11 made up of of musicians as always we'll start in goal so who's your goalkeeper uh, so, so my formation, Tim. My formation. Oh, sorry, I missed. I missed okay. that. Oh, okay. sorry. <laughs> my formation is the fluid. Keeping me intact. Fluid, three, four, one, two. Yeah, we'll go with that. Three, four, one, two. Um, so, yeah. in goal, I'm going to go with Liam Crombie from We're the Ocean, because I know he's a good goalkeeper because I play football with him, uh, <laughs> and uh, he and he's a lovely lad and he's really good and uh he's like he's like a short he's one of those kind of slightly quieter goalkeepers you know i mean he's not a schmeichel he's not going to be shouting and and giving orders but he has a calm reassuring vibe about him that i i appreciate in a goalkeeper so he's 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 my he's my gk so he's a pair of safe hands in that aspect in terms of safe pair of hands with a a beautiful golden larynx that's that's <laughs> so, who have you got in front of him, making sure that his calm demeanor is is intact? So to balance that, I've gone for three scary men. <laughs> I like the idea <laughs> of centre backs being people that you are scared of. <laughs> yeah, no, I so get that. I've gone with Andy Williams from Every Time I Die, who's a, a oh fuck it out, literally a wrestler. Um, I've gone with. Someone that I actually work with and I find quite scary, Mike Patton. Uh, and I've also gone for probably not as scary as he used to be, but I used to be scared of him, Henry Rollins. So those are my three centre backs. Oh, mate, yeah. that is a defence and a half. Yeah. Fucking hell. Those, those are three people you'd, you'd want to avoid. <laughs> You're not going to be pressing yeah, against I'm... them. <laughs> I mean, just. I mean, I know he's calmed down his older age, but even still, Henry Rollins... Like... Yeah, I saw... Um, so when Rollins' band released Wait, which is an exceptional um, record um, that had a sort of minor MTV hit with Liar, um, I remember seeing them play Reading Festival and um, and, es- and essentially he stood on stage with his top off, as he often did, and asked everybody in Reading to to basically step outside 
if they disagreed with his views and have a fight with him. And I swear to God, no one, no one, on the, no one at Reading was like, do you know what? I think I could probably take him. I think I could probably take him. Everyone was like, oh, we yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah. We absolutely, we, you would say whatever you like, <laughs> Mr. Rollins. Oh, so I remember like, I've seen his spoken words shows wonderful, a couple of times. Wonderful spoken word shows, yeah. And like, even then, like, he's just so intense and you're like, even if I don't agree with what you're saying, though I do, I'm not going to argue with you. Sort of yeah, he, he, yeah, his spoken word is, or comedy spoken word is so wonderful. And he had a whole, I can't remember which tour it was or which, 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 um, which, yeah, which show it was, but he had a whole thing where he was late, he was an airport and he was, he was running late and he was shouting at everyone and being very Rollins about everything and having a go and, you know, very angry. And um, and an old lady kind of basically sort of said, "You need to calm down. <laughs> Everything you're doing now is like is just decoration. You're just adding decoration. Just calm down." And he was like, "Okay." And that's kind of like a turning point. And he was like, "I need to stop shouting at people." I don't. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And on the flip side, I'd love to see some like flashy footballer trying to go past Andy Williams yeah. and him just clotheslining him. So <laughs> you're not going to be not making Andy Williams. Like literally you can't because his thighs are like just, you know, his calf. <laughs> so then who have we got in, in the middle of the park? So my four plus one, I guess, in midfield. So in the center I've gone for, I like short, combative, slightly angry centre midfield. I like, that's what I like, you know, like, like Roy Keane, kind of that sort of, that sort of, you know, Skulls as well, again, related. Yeah, I was going, as soon as you said that, Paul Skulls yeah. came to mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've gone for Chris Kayford from Rolo Tomasi, who again, I play football with, and he's a wonderful footballer and fits that exact mould. Um, and I've gone for Frank Carter because, again, I imagine that in the Roy Keane style mode, uh, kind of um, mould, uh, you know, I could imagine he would be quite tasty in football confrontations. I can feel like a real sort of aggressive nature to your team. Don't worry, we, we get we get slightly calm. We get slightly calm. <laughs> yeah, at the moment we're like Wimbledon from the eighties. Like, do not. Yeah, I was I was gonna say I feel like a real yeah. kind of Vinnie Jones, yeah. especially Frank Carter, Vinnie Jones vibe going on. Yeah, that. well, yeah, I mean, like, jo yeah, well, yeah, or Chelsea, like Jody Morris, uh, you know, that kind of like centre midfield kind of like angry dog kind of like. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So go on then. Who have we got sort of this feeding the creativity in the team? So the right wing and the left wing, I've gone for... So I used to skateboard and, you know, I think that gives you, um, talking about kind of punk music ethos, that it gives you a real kind of great balance and you've got to have good skill and you've got to be quick. So I've gone for two people I know that skateboard on the wings. I've gone for Liam from Black Peaks, who is a wonderful skateboarder. Uh, and I've gone for Bob Villain as well, kind of like, oh, nice, you know, kind of. I can imagine them both being pretty quick and nippy down the wings. Or, or I've gone for Jedwood. Split them across, <laughs> purely just because of the, you know, their, their recent transformation into national treasures. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, that that is the the 
the weird. I mean, 2020's been a weird it's been a year. Weird that's year. one it's of been the a weird, weird year. We're talking about Jedward in a football team of punks. So probably we'll <laughs> Liam and Bob, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um, so yeah, so those are my midfield. And then just ahead of them, the inspiration I've gone for my number 10 is a kind of Pirlo, cultured, calm, creative type person. So I've gone for Dallas Green. <laughs> I can okay. he would just take a moment to think about things, you know, maybe pick that pass, not not too rushed, but can also like, you know, put himself about a bit. I like that. I do, it's not a sort of a person I would have ever considered, but I think your your reasoning behind it is kind of quite. Yeah, it does. He's like a very kind of measured person, and as you say, he's an incredibly creative person. Exactly. So why the hell he's not? He's like he's got this brick wall, and then these fighting dogs in the middle, and you've got these two kind of quick scrappy themselves kind of wingers and then he's just got all the time in the world to just kind of think about everything so yeah i mean this may not mean anything to to you it might, might do i'm not sure but uh, do you remember a croatian player called robert prosoneski no so he was in i think the 98 world cup i could be wrong i can't remember but basically for some unbeknown reason kind of like and with Edgar Davids, he signed for Pompey like when he was kind of in the twilight years of his career. Um, he has a, like a strong personal connection with the then chairman Milan Mandrich, and he was clearly like miles above the rest of the team. This was when we were still in, well, the first division, but now now the championship, but we were a struggling relegation team year in year out sort of thing and he came in and would just literally he wouldn't do anything but if you gave him the ball he'd just create this magic and there was all these stories that kind of came out of him in training like smoking 40 fags a day sort of thing uh, but because he had this ability just as you like kind of what you're saying Dallas could potentially have is this time on the ball and just take, do what he wants. So I can imagine Dallas Green being a Robert Prozaneski kind of player. Every great team ever has a player with, 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 with vision. Like every team has, has like that one David Silver, like, you know, Paul Scholes, that, 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 you know, Pirlo, that one player that can just see things that other players can't. And I really feel the Dallas Green that in my <laughs> team. Yeah. Perfect. So you've got Dallas feeding in the ball. So who's who's banging in the goals for? So you? up top I've gone box office. I've gone Oh, okay. Yeah, I've gone Let's put put the money on the striker. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I've gone yeah. So I've gone uh Sam Samuel Carter from Architects, who again I've played football with and is another United supporter and can score a goal he's strong and he's quick and kind of i'm not going to say goal hanger because that's probably doing him a disservice <laughs> sorry sam um but yeah somewhere between an owen and chikorito with a bit more meat on the bone that's sam and then his foil i've gone for simon neil i have no idea if simon neil has ever even kicked a football <laughs> i like the idea of the two of them up top, uh, you know, these kind of charismatic, 
kind of interesting kind of lyrical humans uh you know having that kind of neymar mbappe kind of, kind of yeah style, yeah like Firmino kind of style style play uh so yeah i've gone i've gone box office up the top uh, I think you've also kind of gone a bit poster boy as well. I've gone so... a bit poster boy. I do want to sell some t-shirts because Rollins is not going to be the one who's selling selling my t-shirts and selling my poster. Um, you you always get those fans that love the dogged player though, so you never yeah, know. It's true, I, we just have a lot of them on my team. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, who have you got this keeping this ragtag bunch all in 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 line, especially with? The likes of Rollins, Williams, and Carter—well, Frank Carter, I should say—being very hot-headed. Who have you got keeping them level-headed? Yeah, so I've gone with uh, Jamie Lemon, my friend. Oh, what a shout! Because he is a storm trapped inside of a quiet poem of a man. Um, he's calm. He's really assured. He knows exactly what he wants. He has the experience. He's definitely not afraid to say what he thinks or throw opinions. And I like a manager that wears a suit. I was going to say, just imagine those suits on the touchline as well. Like, it's just, that's it. You know what I mean? He's going to command, calmly command respect and no one is going to mess with him. Mate, I think that is, I don't want any other managers now. I just want Jamie. (laughs) Jamie, Jamie the whole way. Yeah. We've we've peaked on (laughs) on week two. (laughs) Perfect. Brilliant. Well, I think... In comparison to to Adam's team, where he kind of went for fluidity and chemistry, yours Bristol. is a lot. That's what more... he went for. He went for how many bands from Bristol can I get in one team? <laughs> <laughs> but yours kind of feels a bit more star-studded, but has kind of logic and reasoning to it as well. Yeah. And I think yeah. I, I can't see many goals getting past your team. To be so no, I, can't, I can see a lot of red cards, maybe. <laughs> Could see a lot of injuries, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yes, perfect, brilliant. Well, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as always. Yeah, um, I'm sure at some point along the season, I'll I'll whip you into to doing another one of these uh, at some point. But just to to sign off on things, as we're still very early on in the season, what's your kind of predictions for your beloved Man United? Um, I my prediction is the same every year. We will waste an entire summer chasing a golden elephant that we do every single year, and we will <laughs> never sign them. And we will waste all this time, and then we will pick up some random Swedish, Portuguese, or Dutch player that no one has ever heard of, and um, and play okay, and then badly, and then end the season well, and we'll finish in the top four. I can't see us having a real. I can't see us having a real stab at anything past that. To be honest, I think yeah. our defence is shaky, and I think our goalkeeping position is up for grabs. And I think it's great when you have a great second goalkeeper or two goalkeepers, but I think it does also create a weird tension. Um, and I think the team puts so much pressure on um, its forward three players, and one of those is. Mason, who is his own stuff to deal with at the moment, and is 18. Uh, yeah. Um, you've got Marshall and Rashford, who both the last couple of years have been picking up little injuries here and there and stuff. So I'd be amazed if both of them last the whole season as well. So I think, I, you know, even though Donny van der Beek is a great signing, 
I think is not exactly the signing that we needed, to be honest. Yeah. And you've mentioned kind of that chasing the, the golden elephant sort of thing, and we're going to be mentioned in two weeks in a row now, but there was obviously rumours that because the Jaden Sancho deal looks like it's not happening, that United are potentially going in for Gareth Bale, but now he's maybe talking about going back to Spurs. Like, honestly, I never it's... want to hear the phrase Manchester United and Gareth Bale. Like, it, it's like... <laughs> A while ago, well, that answers Rafa, my question. A while ago, it was Raphael <laughs> van der Vaart or um, Wesley Schneider, or it's always like a player, and it's just you know, Jaden Sancho is the latest in a long line, you know, and it's just, I, I mean, I think as a football fan, I would love to see Gareth Bale back at Spurs. I think it makes complete sense. He was there for six years. Um, Gareth Bale seems like. An incredibly likable person, I think. He thinks, he, and he's clearly a football genius. And he's been at the wrong club, a poisonous club, for too long. Um, yeah, you know he's. He, you know we don't need another Alexis Sanchez. Like we just don't. Yeah, yeah. We, we just got rid of him. We don't need, you know, another thirty-plus-year-old player on um, unbelievable wages, where we feel like we have to play him every game. Spurs do. They can have that. That's fine. <laughs> you're, you're welcome uh, to that. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I, we're not going to get Sancho because it's not going to happen. Um, and I have no idea because there is no master plan at United um, who we will get instead. But we definitely need, definitely need a centre-back and a, a forward player that can play on the wings. Yeah. Perfect. Brilliant. Well, that's the perfect end to note to end it on. So Matt, again, thank you very Absolute much for, for joining me and yeah, we'll keep, keep in touch for the rest of the season. Thanks,